Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to the program. This is Dr. Tom Curran. Hey, and today, Carrie, we are going to talk about tradition. Tradition. <laughs> we're hearing that a lot around our house. We are. <laughs> yeah, Fiddler on the Roof. But we're going to talk about family traditions. And what family traditions lead to is a culture or an atmosphere that can be present in your home that in the end makes all the difference. And we're going to dive into that today on the program in just a minute. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out, drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Okay, back to Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. Let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you that you are the giver of all good gifts, that you pour out your very self and in an eternal act of generation of the Son, and the Son receives himself and gives himself back to you. And I thank you for the, the gift of the the gift that you are as the blessed Trinity. We stand in awe and wonder of you now and forever. Lord, bless our program, bless our families, that they would be marked by the mystery of the blessed Trinity, that your very life would come to birth in our families. I pray, Lord, for those families that are struggling right now, struggling to live well or to flourish as a family. Jesus, I just pray that you give us the grace in this in this month of February to start anew, to be resolved, to enter more fully into the gifts and graces that you will for us. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Carrie, do you know that there are two different ways of understanding the will of God regarding blessings? There is God's willing things according to the nature of the thing that we're talking about. Like God wills certain blessings for us in our married life because we're married. Then there's the right now blessings that come from God. And that is, not only am I going to bless you with the blessings that I have for married life and I have through all time for those who are married in the church, but there's the right now, your family, your situation, the things that you're going through, I have ordained blessings to intervene, to unbind, to set free, to come and to be with you, to come and to help you face the challenges that you're facing. So isn't that cool? Those two different like uh, uh, ideas of like the kinds of blessings that you can expect from God? Uh, yes. I'm trying to still think what is the difference between the two of them. One has to do with, let's call it the nature, and one has to do with the timing. And when you say, just can you just do blessings anytime, anywhere? Isn't that all the same as timing? Um, are you trying to distinguish that from when a priest comes by and blesses the house or blesses you or you bless the food at the table? So let's say that God gives to every, every one of his children that are members of the church, he gives the grace to pray. All right, there you go. That's a general 
like capacity that God gives. But then there's the now is the time you live in a moment in your own personal life or in a world that requires a special anointing, a special gifting for either the challenge you're facing or the challenge that there is in the world. And so I'm going to very specially bless you and those around you who are in the midst of that moment. So it's a it's a timing thing, not a nature thing. Okay. I kind of repeated myself. And if That's okay. if, if it doesn't, if it, if it hasn't like kind of sunk into your mind. I think I need to read the same quote or the same book or the book you read it from to understand what you're fully, what you experienced when you read it. I didn't read that in anybody. <laughs> how do we know this? How do we know this? I am a PhD systematic theologian. Okay. And what I study is the fundamental concepts of uh, the Catholic Church's teaching and beliefs and oh, how they show them, how they show up. So including things like nature and grace. So um, yeah, it just, it just sort of bubbled up to me as I was praying. I'm like, you know, God has blessings for all families that are available at all times, all places. And then there are some special times and places that God intends to bless. I, I brought that up for two reasons. I brought it up because we're going to talk about family traditions today. And I want every family to know that you are all in that, um, on God's radar screen to receive blessings. All the time. All the time. <laughs> we're always on his radar. We can't get off of it. You, you're not off of God's radar screen because you have been called to be a family. God has blessed you sacramentally with graces associated with the sacrament of holy matrimony or with the gift of having children. And then there's the, but you also need to know this. You're not just one among many. No, you're one of a kind as well. And in that one of a kind situation that you're facing, the Lord has you in mind. And so the burden you face, the longing you have, the trial that you're going through, all of those things, he has a special, delicate, identified care that he intends to bring to bear in your life. I just think that people who get overwhelmed by situations, they can get paralyzed and they can just feel like there's no way for God, even God, to break in. They may not say that in their head, but the way that they are living it at the at the emotional level, it, it washes away the the conceptual idea that yeah. with me. I was thinking when I feel that he's not seeing me or that I'm in a situation that he doesn't see my unique situation. I really take take time to call it to God and say, do you see me? And ask him to show me where or how are you seeing me? And so that I know I'm seen. So I think the Lord wants to let us know that he sees us and that he loves us and that he sees that specific thing I'm going through. It's kind of like when Jesus was in the crowd and everyone was pressing in on him and the lady of faith that was hemorrhaging touched him and he knew that power had gone out from him. And so there's a way in which, and, and at that moment he was astonished at her faith. And I think the Lord is also looking for us to call on him in our, in our distress and our trouble and say, Lord, show me that you see me, show me that in the midst of this trial, you are with me, that you have my, uh, this trial to be a place where I'm going to grow closer to you, or you're going to use it to your glory or to your good. And that really is a resting of our faith. A It's a testing of our faith. It's a, an undergoing of us being called into a, 
it's a trial. And we don't really see all of what God is doing until we get through it a lot of times. Well, that's, and that takes a type of love that is first described by St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 in that great hymn of love. Love is, what's the first characteristic of love? P-A-T-I-E-N-C. Patience. That's right. Patience. And how many times have I said this before? What is patience? It's the willingness to stay the course when you're faced with trials and even suffering. So it's, I I will not doubt that you are loving me and I'm going to express my love for you by being patient, by being willing to undergo this trial, this suffering, this difficulty out of love for you. And that, that kind of, of love that, that the patience to undergo trials that forges weightiness that forges credibility when we come to testify about our faith in God. You know, you know, when you're talking to people who have just read something in a book and are repeating it versus they've undergone something. You know, I was at an event and one of the speakers, you could tell just had not been through many trials or she wasn't able to uh, have her words carry weight. And she had not been married yet or had kids or it just was the sense of, does she really know the battles that a lot of these women's, these women have been involved in? And, you know, those, those life trials really do bring credibility to one story. And so not only is it God forging us and calling us to, to depend on him, but it also teaches us to be more wise and appreciative of this long journey that we are being forged into something. Yeah. Forged furnace, right? It's the furnace that that purifies the dross out of the gold, right? In, in gold, uh, uh, fire, in, in fire, gold is tested and purified. And that's what the Lord has for us. He's got gold. He's got gold. He wants to purify our, our faith, but I don't know. We don't like going through the, 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 the fire. I don't think. So Carrie, talking about uh, family culture. I think that, uh, that that's connected to the concept of traditions. I know that um, when we, take a look at our family and, and we can look back at our family and, and we, we love to share with others about wanting them to, to grow in their own lives as a family. One of the great helps is establishing some traditions. And here we are, it's February. I think that a short form of traditions is resolutions. And a lot of folks may have started their year making some resolutions. So you say that, say that again, you think that when I say I want to change one thing a year, so they say like do one habit change a year. It's the 1% rule or the you know, the one thing you can change and then it's a habit for the rest of your life. And then in five years, you'll have five habits and in 10 years, 10 habits. Can you take that and make it a family tradition doing uh, a New Year's resolution as a family? Like let's say that my New Year's resolution is to drink more water do that as a whole family, or it might be to eat healthier fat. So we're getting rid of margarine and canola oil. We're now just doing real butter and olive oil, or it could be praying the family rosary that now as a family, we're going to at least pray uh, 10 decades or the rosary every night as a family. And then that carries forward. So you think of what can we do as an entire family to try to uphold as we see this to be who we are 10 years from now or 20 years from now. I mean, I think 
as couples, you would really want to sit down and envision like, God, where do you want us to be in 20 years? Or where do you want our family to be in 20 years? Especially when you're just starting out. I don't know. Yeah. There's no culture in a family without intentionality. Ta-da. Right. So there, a culture, again, folks, What do you, it can sound like such a, I don't mean you're cultured and you go into the opera. What I mean by family culture is the unspoken atmosphere that is taken for granted by those who live in that space. It's the things that are manifested in how you talk to each other, how you relate to each other, how you live together. And you see it exemplified in how, how, how people live, how they speak, how they eat, how they work, how they play, how they pray. You know, just a simple example of that is the other night we we're sitting around the table talking about words to get rid of. And we talked about this uh, fun tradition we had uh, several years back during Lent. We had a cuss jar. Cuss can. A cuss can. <laughs> and the kids, if they heard each other say a bad word, they would put the person's name on that piece of paper with the, the word they said. And it became more of a joke and more fun and just made the whole idea of, are you aware of how you talk to each other and what words you use? Are you aware of it? And um, so we started having this conversation because I had said for many, many years, I don't want our kids to say the S word, which is sucks, or the SH word, which is shut up, or the ST word, which was stupid. And it always had this uh, expectation as a teacher and teaching junior high that kids would not fall into these just poor, poor choice of language. And more and more, I hear the sucks word, like a lot of kids saying it and parents saying it. Even at the, the gym the other day, like two different parents saying this. And I'm thinking, how do we, how do we fall so far as a, as a, a culture to just allow this kind of speech? And uh, at another game, we were at the playoff game. I heard these two kids, four kids, and they started saying F this, F that. And I went up to them and said, hey, guys, have some respect. You have like elderly here. You have me here. We do not care for this language. And they're like, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. They're very um, contrite and said sorry, and it just took someone to call it out and not let them get away with it. And I don't even think they were aware of it. But back to the three S words, I was like, "Why do our kids keep saying stupid?" And then, within I don't know, like three hours during the day, I said "stupid," like this is so stupid, and something else is. And I'm like, "Oh my goodness, I wasn't even aware that I regularly, regularly say that word, which I was so like against several years back." That is just a small example of speech and a small, small example of what kind of speech. So you can see how reflecting and and thinking about what shows up in our conversation in our home and in the language we use is so um, important. Absolutely. These things matter. And what you just talked about was nurturing the atmosphere, right? We're feeding a certain atmosphere, a, a certain family culture that will have a certain kind of strength to it. And if we're going to uphold a higher level, something that is more ideal, something that we truly value, that we have to exemplify, we have to be the models for that. And I, what I've found is that when you and I have talked about seeing language come out of our kids' mouths, yeah, I, occasionally it's because it's traced back to you. I would say that more it's from the environment they're in with their peers. When they're with those kids, it's again, what's the atmosphere? What's the culture? What's the unspoken expectation or even the, the urge? Is it towards using language like that or worse or not? 
And it's not just words, like it's how you eat, what kind of foods are you go to for snacks or how for do you meals talk to each other in or the car ride. How, how do, do you relate to each other? Sorry, it's my turn. It's my turn. <laughs> uh, devices. How do you see each other on devices? How do they show up in your home or screens? I should say, how are screens allowed and not allowed? And what do the kids sense about the restrictions or the, the freedoms to be on those devices? Well, Carrie, we're up against a break. When we come back, I want to start coming up with some solutions and dig further into those as well. Back in a minute. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Hey, welcome back to the program. This is Dr. Tom Curran. Today, Carrie's with me, and we're talking about family traditions and how do you build a better culture, a Catholic culture, a spiritual atmosphere that is informed by faith? Doesn't that sound cool? <laughs> I love that. That sounds awesome. And, and to realize that there are elements of that already in our homes, but how do we grow that? How do we intensify that? in these days that are leading up to Lent? And then maybe how do we do that more fully in Lent? I just want to say, if you've not been able to hold your New Year's resolution and you've already failed, you're fine. They do say that, do you know what percentage of people fail after the first two weeks? Uh, 50%. Oh, that's a good guess. 80%. Is it really? Yes. In two weeks? In two weeks. I think, okay, wow. just speaking off the cuff, I think people are sitting around the last week of December and everyone's off work more or less. And they're trying to figure out, oh, what should we do for the new year or what should we... And so naturally they start thinking about, well, I've eaten a lot of food and I've really enjoyed the last two months. And so now it's time to, and typically it feels like it's around food and eating, but um, there's this whole group. Do you know what tough mutter is? Yeah. Do you do not? Yeah. It's like, it's a different levels of race where you have to do all these obstacles and they're really difficult. Yes. Like yeah. intense, like mud and they do electricity shocks and Father Derek Lapp ice has done it. Oh, he did. Yeah. And like ice bucket mutter. things they, you have to swim through. Well, they said, actually, it's better to start your new year's resolution in February. Really? Yes. And they gave three reasons. So I guess what's today, February something yeah, first six. week in February. Um, So it isn't a bad time to start if you've failed or to restart or to start in mid-February, February 15th, 14th to be exact when Lent starts. But um, do you want to guess why they said to wait a month? It's lighter. Oh yeah. Like the, the sun is out. Well, that's what one of the reasons I put down. Uh, they said, according to that one, um, it's a shorter month. So there's only 28 days versus January is a long month. This but year if, there's 29. <laughs> well, I think in, when you start in February, there's like this light at the end of the tunnel. January is such a slow, long, tiresome month. And I know that with my own home organization, I am cleaning out all the files for like taxes and whatnot. 
I'm trying to reset. We still have kids home from college until mid January. So it doesn't really feel like a fresh start until they're all gone. <laughs> and then I also think we're still putting away Christmas stuff and kind of stripping down to a more minimalistic uh, time in the home in January. And so I really don't feel like everything's kind of organized and put away till the end of January. Um, the other reason they said is that um, because it's so dark and cold and you're out of money and it feels like you're just trying to survive through that month, that it's just this slow slog and um, you're, you're actually at a point where you just need to get through the month, not try to start something new. And do you want to hear the last reason? Yeah. What is the last reason? Um, I'm to, oh, you, you want to actually start your resolution when everyone stops theirs. So the gym empties out and the online courses empty out and the class and classes aren't as full and all that kind of momentum to, I'm going to do it. And then, so you just kind of wait for everyone to clear out and then you join the gym or do whatever it is. So they said that could be another. I mean, of course, these are people that are into workout and they go to gyms, but it doesn't have to be, you know, health and eating. It could be something else that you want to start. Yeah. Well, you you've identified. Uh, so I love this because here we are now. It's it's early. It's early February, and this is a great lead up to Lent. But what we're talking about are things that will go beyond Lent. These aren't things you just want to take on but you'll want to have indoor in your family. This could be like um, daily walks, uh, family prayer, something that you at, that you want to do every night. It could be um, no eating after a certain time at night. Like as a family, we're not eating after nine o'clock. It could be as a family, we're going to fast on every day of fr every Friday during the year, or we're going to go to monthly confession, you know, instead of just kind of going when we feel like it, like, no, actually we're going to commit to going the third Friday of every month or the first Friday of every month. Um, so it really could be a spiritual thing that you take on as a family and say, this is who we are and this is how we want to live more intentionally in this, in, in this area. But it shouldn't be ginormous. Like we're going to give up sugar as a family for the rest of our lives. It should be something that's very doable, Yeah, I think. I like that. And what you're saying, to just map this out, folks, and to hear it in the language of John Paul II, that intentional action builds habits at when it's repeated, repeated intentional actions build habits. Another word that he uses for habits is attitudes. That's how we relate to these parts of our lives. And uh, when you nurture attitudes and habits, that's what grows the culture or a whole new way of seeing things and seeing each other. It builds an atmosphere. And, and so we're talking about building an atmosphere, folks, in your home that becomes enriched with a deeper sense of your faith with the glory of God, with the presence of Christ, with, with noble ideals that are just part of being an excellent human being. And so uh, I want to just circle back and, and quickly touch on a few of the things that you've said, and let's see if we can give some, some real specific recommendations. So like speaking to each other, that, that's an action. And that's an action that everyone's doing every day. You might not work out every day, but you are talking to each other every day. So to identify more intentional ways of talking to each other, you can say, what are the attitudes that are currently showing up in our speech? Is there disrespect? Is there annoyance? Is there writing each other off? Is there harshness? Is there like a lack of kindness? Is there sarcasm? 
you could stop and say, what are the positive things that are expressed in speech together? The ability to celebrate, the ability to affirm, the ability to uh, speak uh, positively to each other, uh, make room for each other, right? All of those positive ways of speaking. And then what are the negative things that I just talked about? And say, okay, among all of these, if we could add in one positive and take away one negative, what would those be? Do you remember us doing this as a family? We, I think, you know what? I think we tried to model it more than plan it, like program, 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 programatize it, right? I think when the kids were younger, there were things I would just, we wouldn't allow them to say. And so it just became a hard, fast rule. We weren't so good at when our kids would ask us to ask us something and we'd say no, and then they'd ask again, and then they'd ask again, that we were better at that back in the day. But I feel like now we're not as good at that, where our kids, can, a couple of them can really wear us down. And I try so hard to be firm. <laughs> but um, the speech part of it, I think, generally speaking, has been easier. I don't remember the kids being really harsh. I do know there are some siblings that had hard times with each other. And there was a time where they needed to have a heart change or heart transplant, (laughs) have a transformation of how they saw their siblings. And that was through prayer and through healing and through conversations. But it's not, that's not easy. I mean, when you have kids that just don't like each other, or sometimes parents just don't like their kids. Like there's something about a certain kid where it's just like, oh, of course you love your child, but there are parts of that child that just kind of waits on you. And you really have to go and ask the Lord to help you see them and their gifting in the way that he sees them. Um, I don't think that was a main issue we had, but I'm just thinking there are situations in families where it's not as easy as it sounds. Right. I would say this, this is, this is more the profound answer, right? Not the easy answer. Not the practical, this is how to do it. (laughs) It's not like, here's a practical step. If you're finding that an attitude that your kid has just grates on you and it's leading you to have a sense of, I just don't like this kid or I'm, I'm kind of, or how um, about your spouse or your spouse? Right. <laughs> and it's, sorry, honey, no, you don't. Get well, it's in, it's in the book, the truth of the world by Von Balthazar. And he talks about veiling that the eyes of love both unveil. They are able to draw out of the person that they love aspects that they don't even see in themselves. And they're able to veil parts of how they show up that are not authentic. They're, they're broken and dark. And so I do remember you doing that with kids, Tom, and really veiling their negativity or their moodiness or their lack of response and just trying to pull out from them. That's not how I see you. Right. That's not, yeah, that's not how I see you. That's not who you are in my eyes. That's not who you are in, in the eyes of the Lord. This is who you are to me. And sometimes that just takes a conversation like son, son and father or mother, daughter, let's just go out and have a conversation about this. Um, because it's hard to, it's hard to teach that, or it's hard to present that in the moment. And it really does take prayer and it does take tenderness and insight and wisdom from the spirit to say, because you're dealing with a very, um, delicate forever kind of character flaw or character trait that really requires a very tender approach. So Carrie, I remember this is a, for a more serious situation and there might be some folks listening who are in 
more serious situations with their teens or maybe young adult kids. And, and there is a, there's a habit of sabotage. I'm going to sabotage this relationship by coming at you with such negativity that you too will reject me. I'm going to poke at you until you finally explode and you tell me that I'm no good that and you the, hate me. This is a uh, like a psychological condition yeah. almost like people so kids will have this they'll fall into this as a protection mode because they don't want to be vulnerable, they don't want to receive the love or it's too or painful. They hate themselves so much and their black and white thinking is such that I've been rejected by this person over here, I've been je- rejected by my group. I hate myself. And so this person who said, I'll always love you, mom or dad, I'm going to start like manifesting negativity towards you. I'm going to start saying things or doing things that I know you hate so that you will reject me too, because yes. that'll be the final, the final like straw Confirmation. in my yes. mind. It'll confirm to me that I am really that bad. And I don't think a lot of parents have been equipped to realize that there are kids when they are so in such a dark, broken spot that they will do that, that it's not really their authentic selves speaking. It's their hurt selves that are uh, just, just so in such a dark despairing spot that they, they want to just find it in you. So, and that is, that is happening today. And I think, you know, it's a much more serious uh, topic and much more serious situation. And I just so encourage parents to get help to find and to, to ask the Holy Spirit and to pray and ask friends and, and close siblings, how do I get help? Where do I go? Because then even that process has to be so carefully maneuvered because of the bad help that's out there. Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, I in the past what week and a half, I've talked to two different Catholic uh, therapists. Uh, they Their practice, they said, is just completely filled with married couples, Catholic couples who are looking for faith-based but professional and excellent guidance to navigate issues that show up in marriage and family. And and you got to hear this, parents. You start having trouble with your kids, it becomes trouble in your marriage. (laughs) We can testify to this. Uh, Yeah. It was our hardest hardest time in our marriage was when our, our kids were having a hard time. And we were conflicted on how to treat them and how to deal with it and coming at it from um, strong places of, no, I think this is what I need to do, or this is what you should do. And then the, the blame starts and then the the shame, and then the enemy really gets in there and just all the heartache of that, that wound exposes a family quicker than anything. Yeah. And that, it makes us so vulnerable. Well, this brings up another point. I, I know we're kind of moving around a little bit, shifting in this whole area, but you talk about wanting to pray for your kids' spouses, that you want them to be in faith-based, common, grounded marriages. i just trying to figure out how couples do this. Married couples do this without God's grace, without a common faith, where they can't fall on their knees together and turn to their Heavenly Father and approach the sacraments and receive you know, the, the, the counsel of the Holy, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. How do they do it? How do they welcome mercy, experience healing, find wisdom, experience God's power to break bondage? I mean, and in that faith-based, Tom, it does feel like a cold glass of water and you're in the desert. It does feel like uh, an oasis. It 
we have had those seasons where it was so hard and then we had a friend or a counselor or the or prayer or a book some some kind of enlightenment come and it brought such solace and such consolation and it gave us hope like okay god has us he sees us i think we talked about this earlier if you don't feel like God sees you, ask the Holy Spirit, beg the Holy Spirit to show you a sign that he sees you, that he's with you and to give you that you need that hope, which pursues, which allows for faith to, to build in you, to know that God sees you. And I think going through those situations and not having faith and being hopeless would be the worst. It would just be so depressing. And well, I think couples end up depressed and they end up, it does break up marriages. Absolutely. Carrie, just listen to this before we go to our next break. This was this morning's office of readings. But you, O Lord, how long? Return, Lord, rescue my soul. Save me in your merciful love. For in death, no one remembers you. From the grave, who can praise you? I am exhausted with my groaning. Every night, I drench my pillow with tears. I bedew my bed with weeping. My eyes waste away with grief. I've grown old, surrounded by my foes. How's that for a psalm? I mean, you, that, that's the word of God being sown into someone's life who's praying that. And you want a confirmation that the Lord understands your situation? Read that word of God. That's the prayer of the church for today. The church is saying, we are groaning. We are uh, uh, weeping at night, awake, tossing and turning. You're not alone, brothers and sisters. All right, we gotta take a break. Back in a minute. Welcome back to the program. So Carrie, I'm glad that we're precisely following our outline for the program today. (laughs) Yeah, we are not. We're going with the Holy Spirit here. And you said something to me during the break. You said, I think we should pray. We should pray for people. Right well, now. just talking about um, some of the struggles we've had, it brought back those memory emotions of how hard it was and how desperate we were and how alone and saddened and overwhelmed. Even though I knew God had his hand on us and you know, you're a believer, I'm a believer. There are situations where the spouse isn't strong in their faith. And we were surrounded by family and family that had faith. So I guess if something terrible happened to us or hard. We were in like the best situation, I guess you could imagine. And still it was devastating. And I mean, you were at the point where you were going to, you couldn't even work. Like you could not function as a father and as a provider, you had to stop working. It was so hard. It was overwhelming. Yeah, it was. uh, I remember I would, a couple of things that I was doing spiritually at that time, I was on my knees praying 20 decades of the rosary. Just, I was up and it took me over an hour, but on my knees that, that was the prayer of a desperate father, a desperate husband and father for his kids. Uh, and that uh, deliverance prayers used by the laity, I'd pray the entire book. Father Ripiger? Father Ripiger. It's a long book. I, I wonder would, why that book's so tattered. I was I like, would, this book, it's so... <laughs> well, you saw the little drops from my tears hitting those pages. <laughs> I would pray intensely each of those prayers. And uh, what I would do is I would pray them until I felt permission to stop. And, and what I mean was, was that you come before God in, in a broken condition. You don't just say it once and then you're done and you move on. Uh, what I have found 
is that when I get to that position of I'm really having a hard time, I just keep pouring out. I keep pouring out. I keep pouring out until I have permission to stop. And I know I have permission to stop because as I've been pouring out, just imagine like a hose, just like a fire hose is pouring out. And eventually that pouring out is going to slow down. And then God is just getting in. He's seeping in. He's seeping in. He's seeping in. And I may be actually, like the scripture says, exhausted, but I'm emptied. And now he has come in and I'm, I'm at least surrendered. And I've handed over everything. Is that the entrustment prayer that's that we that talked about? Yes, exactly. It's the, it's the entrustment that empties. And, and having now been so empty, the Lord is like, okay, I'm, I'm here and I've got you. And you've emptied out enough. I've got you. Right? Do you know where else I've done that? On the airplanes. <laughs> I would In just, a smaller way. <laughs> I would pray rosaries until I was just so exhausted from praying rosaries after rosaries after rosaries for a safe, peaceful flight that I was like, all right, I, I just, I'm so emptied out. The Lord is with me. The plane can bounce all over the place now and I'm, I'm okay because I've got nothing left. So I, I don't even know how that was not what we were intending. We were talking about fostering a Catholic atmosphere in the home, but, Wait, uh, but when it goes sideways, <laughs> when, it goes, when it goes south, when it becomes a Everyone's demonic frozen. atmosphere, and <laughs> there's paralyzed and, and you, well, and then you're, you're not doing these, all these wonderful family traditions and trying to create culture and trying to meet, eat healthy and drink your water and, you know, make sure that you pray a family. You are just surviving. You yeah. are, you can't even think about t- next week. You're just trying to get through the day, the moment. So earlier today, Carrie, I was talking with a real estate client who's in a difficult family circumstance, and I'm helping the entire family, kind of carrying them to the finish line. That's what it was. I was carrying them to the finish line of helping them find a home and and to buy it. And I said to to the wife, I said, you, you, um, the way that you're talking, you feel, it feels like you're paralyzed and you're overwhelmed. And she said, yes, she started crying. And uh, the number of like, there's only so many times you can get, um, let, let's use the metaphor, punched in the stomach. And she just feels like their family has been punched in the stomach. And that's part of the gift that I, I want to be for them is to help carry them. And I feel like that that's what we, we're, maybe we're called to do right now in prayer is to be praying. And if you're not in that position, folks, if you're listening and you're not in that position, join me, join me and Carrie in praying for the couples that are listening to this program or the individuals. Well, and I just sense, um, you know, we have an outline that we tried to follow. We try to follow. And I just sense that there is someone who needed to hear this and not just one person. I just really sense that someone is crying out to Lord. And this is uh, a place of, of hope and answer to their heart's cry. And that the Lord does see them. Just the fact that this is a topic that we just kind of wandered into, uh, but praise God, he can use everything and all things. Well, we always pray, Lord, use the program, use the Holy Spirit, come, come in and guide us. Like we haven't, we, we have what we've identified, but you know, what we, pro, but what is it? We propose God disposes, right? I think we proposed and then God's disposing us to do something. So let's stop talking about it. And let's, let's actually pray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Come, Holy Spirit, and I pray that you would fall upon us and stir within us, especially those who are listening right now. Lord, those who are in a good space, a place of strength, a place of flourishing, 
I just pray, Lord, that a heart of gratitude and a heart of generosity would emerge in them, these dear brothers and sisters of mine praying with us right now, that we would join together, lock arm in arm, and that we would pray with our faith, our fervor, our sense of gratitude. Lord, come and bless these dear, sweet brothers and sisters of ours who are struggling, who are in a broken place, who are feeling overwhelmed, who are feeling paralyzed. I pray, Jesus that you administer, that you break in, break open, and that as you receive their poured out hearts into your own, that you administer to them with the gift of your most sacred heart, with light and peace. Mother Mary, in this time of novena to you, Our Lady of Lords, I just ask that you, your mantle of motherly care and attention would be over them. I pray especially and join arm in arm with parents who have teens who are struggling. Yes, we're struggling with sexual identity. We're struggling to to fit in and to belong. We're struggling to to be in a in a place of peace in their hearts and their relationships in their sense of identity. Jesus, meet them, meet them, Lord. I pray for our young adults, Lord, who are struggling to get launched in life and to find uh, a good Catholic spouse, to find a spouse that would. Uh, meet their heart's desire and allow them to fulfill what they truly desire and, and their call to in life. Jesus, minister to them, especially those who have settled for less in relationships. They've settled for less and now they, they carry wounds and scars and they feel hurt, embarrassed, or, uh, or, or they feel undeserving of a, um, of a, of a, a wonderful life-giving Catholic spouse. I just pray for healing for them, Jesus just thank you, Lord, that you provide this moment, this moment of time on this program to, to, to make it a now is the time, to make it a, a moment of, of true lightning strike of grace, of peace, of light. Carrie, is there anybody else you feel called to pray for? Yeah, I just like to pray for all the grandparents out there who uh, love their children, have been blessed with grandchildren, and just sense a distance, and a, they're far from God, they're far from bringing up the grandchildren in the faith, and their hearts are broken and there's blame there. Lord, what did I do wrong? How did we do this? How could we do it right? What just a sense of it's their fault and Lord, just free them from that lie, free them from that burden. Lord, bring them peace, bring them peace in their marriage, bring them hope. When we talk about hope, Lord, that you would awaken hope in you, faith in you, that you, um, you want to be astonished by their faith, Lord, and just bring them to a place of, of support with other like-minded grandparents that God is not finished and God is not done. And as they labor in the vineyard for their grandchildren and their children, that Lord, that you would nourish them. And thank you, Lord, for, again, the gift of being able to pray and ask that you would go beyond and that you would reach into the hearts and minds of all those that are listening and Bless them with the gift and the grace that you have in your holding in reserve for them. Lord, lift burdens and uh, open paths. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, amen. Oh, that was a good, I think you were right, Carrie. I think that uh, that you discerned correctly. Of course I'm right, honey. <laughs> Finally, <laughs> yes. Uh, no, I, I, I love when that happens. I love when we, uh, are able to just kind of go with the spirit, right? Go with the spirit in terms of of doing something like that. Um, well, and so I just feel like now in our culture, you cannot not be in a family system where there's 
just uh, identity issues, same-sex attraction issues, divorce issues, disease, anxiety, depression. I mean, just so much stuff going on and people facing. And um, it's, it's a time of believing and having faith and hope and being a light or that candle that do not put under a bushel, but be a light to those just desperately seeking answers. However, however, Tom, <laughs> in the scriptures, um, there's a scripture I just want to share about with you that came up um, last week. Well, let's regarding... talk about it after the break. Yes. yes. All right, great. I want to hear that scripture in a minute. Welcome back to the program. This is Dr. Tom Curran, along with my wife, Carrie. Carrie, you were mentioning uh, there was a scripture that came to mind for you about families and the way that uh, that God's at work in families. Well, I think sometimes in my mind, I want to convince uh, a non-believer or someone unopposed to what the church teaches or what I believe is right. Um, I want to convince them of my truth or God's truth. And I don't know exactly when we're reading this because I pull out my Magnificat and just read it like different days. So it all kind of mixes together. But when Jesus sends them out two by two and he says, you know, do not take uh, anything but your sandals. And yeah, last stuff. Sunday's gospel. Oh, was that what? Is that one it showed up? Uh-huh. And he says, if as you go to the door house or to the to the home, just stay at one place. And then what does he say? If they welcome you there, stay as long as they will. And if they don't, then shake the dust. Shake the dust off this off of your sandals and go on to the next. So I I was just thinking and praying about that when I how often do you get in an argument in your mind with somebody that you're talking to on Facebook or maybe somebody who disagreed with something that you're thinking was really brilliant and they disagreed and they want to take it in another direction? Well, even more so in moral issues that are clear what the church teaches and you're, you've tried to convince that family member or that person on Facebook, I really feel like the church needs to do a lot more of shaking the dust off their sandal and walking forward and just leaving that person or that or that belief to God, because it really is the Holy Spirit who ordains a time where he's going to come in and transform and change a heart and a mindset. And those people who I feel really want to find the truth of their issue, and they just don't want to cling to their rightful thinking or be misguided or cling to whatever it is that in their past they hold on to, if they really want to seek it out, it is there for them. Yeah, so you just quoted Aquinas. Look at that. Hey. You referenced <laughs> you referenced Aquinas in the Summa Theologica. Actually, I it might be in his one of his later writings, the Summa Contra Gentiles. How about that? Where he says that God does not deny grace to those who do what's in their power. And what what he's saying there is that we might only think that God is giving grace to those who are free from any, you know, free from mortal sin and who are living in the, the the life of the church. And Aquinas is bringing up, let's call it the other side of the coin, where God loves us all. He loves all his children and he's reaching out to all of us. And when we choose to do sinful things, it does block us from hearing God's voice and conscience as clearly as we could or recognize his prompting. But you know what? God is God. And God is able to do whatever he ordains to break into the lives of those he loves because he loves us all. And I say two things. The first is that there are tremendous losses 
in the life of someone who is walking through this world without a vital, vibrant relationship with the living God, such losses that such pain and darkness. And yet at the same time, we get to hear miraculous stories of the intervention of God, apart from ordinary uh, ways of operating. Didn't you hear yes. like a woman talk about that at the women's conference about God just intervening? Oh, yes. How God called her into faith. And she was an atheist, even though she went to a Catholic university. Uh, yeah, she did share briefly, very briefly, but just that there are ordained moments and the Lord sees all. I, I would never stop praying for those people that are close to us that are misguided and never stop doing penance for them, but knowing and trusting them, knowing that God has a, a point. So I guess it's just not arguing with certain, and maybe it's not even person, people that are close to us. I'm just talking about arguing points in social media. It just feels tiresome like i'm just tired of hearing does it really bear fruit (laughs) does it does it generate results number one does it bear fruit just becomes an echo chamber on the one hand and it doesn't really lead to many positive fruits in the lives of those who are doing it it's like when you said when you argue people on facebook i'm like when was the last time i did that like i haven't done that in years well sometimes i argue with people on facebook in my mind yeah (laughs) i no longer want to get swatted who wins in your mind (laughs) well actually when that happens, since you ask, I usually end up praying for them or in, in yeah. saying, what's the purpose of this? What am I trying to prove? I'm in the imagine in my imagination. I was like, doesn't, don't we just want all to be set free and to have the peace to be full of peace? Yeah. But it's hard. It's hard to, uh, you want the burning coals to fall on the heads of your enemies, right? That's what you want. And, and then, and then they'll get peace and they'll get <laughs> peace, but you want them to kind of get through that burden. So Carrie, we got into all of this because we were talking about Uh, creating an atmosphere in the home around speech, just how we talk to each other and how there are certain attitudes and ways of looking at each other and relating to each other that will enhance a Catholic Christian atmosphere or culture in the family um, versus one that will tear it down. Uh, You mentioned eating and that is worthy worthy of a whole program, but I want to give an example of the power of culture. And that was the van ride we had to our last basketball game, right? So we were playoff game, playoff game, three hours away, three over hours mountain. away, <laughs> the middle of nowhere. Yeah. All the way up to a place <laughs> called Republic, Washington. We drove from the Chesterton Academy uh, last Friday and uh, we lost it was a hard fought game, but the story was really more about the, the car ride up and back. And on the way back, you know, these kids are tired. It, hours and hours. It's and been like five hours. Five hours between the driving, the playing, and now we have to drive back three hours. And we had the snack bag. And there was a player on the team where it's was like, hey, you guys want this snack? Uh, oh, on the way up, it was pizza. You got a pizza from Costco. Yeah. And all the kids were like, yeah, it's well, like ravening wolves. It wasn't the plan, but I knew they needed to eat and we had to get gas. I was like, let me just go in and grab a cheese pizza. Yeah. Which is and be done. <laughs> so you did that, and and the and all the kids had a piece except for one kid, and she's like, "No, I've got my own food," and she was able to, like, withstand the the flow of the atmosphere in the car, and and then on the way home it was, "Let's go to that healthy Scottish restaurant." 
I did not know it's Scottish, but McDonald's. you're right. <laughs> McDonald's. Oh, just any restaurant who wants to flourish, get an app where you can order the food in the car and you don't have to wait in line and you just pull up and they bring the food out. I just think it's so brilliant. Okay. So, so I know I'm just saying I go to McDonald's happened. way too much. Same thing. It's like, Hey, do you, who wants some McDonald's? And everyone was happy to receive McDonald's except for her. She's like, no, I, I've got my, I'm good. Thank you. And what that is, is it's the fruit of the atmosphere that she lives in her house, that they have a certain culture, a certain atmosphere around food in their home. And that bolsters in her that habit, that attitude, that way of relating to food that shows up in situations where she's even with her peers. She's able to withstand the atmosphere among the peers in that, in that situation because of the strength of what she had back in her home. And it wasn't that she was gluten-free or she was allergic to cheese. It was more, no, I just, we don't eat that kind of food, that junk food, I don't eat that, junk that food fast that has, food that has bad effects on you. And it's going to, you know, I don't know, it has bad effects pay on me you now but... or pay me later or whatever you want. And it was, I, I was just impressed. And it's like, that's character right there, right? That's, that's virtue, virtue right? What's virtue? Virtue is human excellence on display in action, right? So that was showing a degree of temperance or moderation, self-control, self-denial, and a sense of I'm going to choose what's truly good for me. That's what we want for our families. Didn't you at one time mention um, the power of penance and how that has to come into family dynamics. And if, if we're going to withstand this, you want me to talk about that with a minute and a half left in the program? Yeah, but, well, I just thought it was a really powerful, when you're teaching us about that, I just never saw it that way before. Yeah. So yeah, maybe the, for the Wednesday. The dawning that has come to me, I'll summarize it super fast. Can we talk it t- about it tomorrow? Yeah, we can talk about it tomorrow or the next day. It was that without penance, you are very, you're not likely to have spiritual growth with a, an ordinary degree of penance, you can have spiritual growth, but with a meaningful, significant commitment to penance, you will see like step function growth in your spiritual life. I love that word, step function. Step function I growth. can see it climbing the my stairs. Consulting, from my consulting <laughs> work as an executive coach. Yeah, step function growth where you know, it's boop, straight up, straight to that whole next level. Yes. And it's something that I think you and I have seen in the past year as we have taken fasting more seriously, that it does lead to whole levels of breakthroughs that are not possible. They're just not, they just don't happen without especially ordained visitations from God. It's not the ordinary way that spiritual growth happens. And it's like, wow, what a demonic win to have ripped away from the church, her tradition of penance. So what a sadness. All right, Carrie, great conversation today on fostering a Catholic atmosphere and Catholic traditions. It's something that we'll pick up on Tuesdays in the, in the month of February. I'm excited about that. Thank you all so much for listening. Thanks for joining me, Carrie. Join me tomorrow for more of the program.